all of us influence individuals, and, and the title is The Power of Influence, Influence Through Service. And I think yesterday was a, a perfect example of that when we were helping out with Habitat, you know, to demonstrate not only to the family that we're ministering to, but, you know, to the neighbors and to the communities that, uh, you know, the love of Jesus is more than just something that we talk about. Uh, there's actually actions that go with that. And I think oftentimes what we, we, we find is that believers are searching for the opportunity to, to influence people. But you know, God's given us all the tools that we need to be able to be an influence in our community and in those around us, with the words that come out of our mouth, by our actions, the way that we live our life. You know, to me, those are the number one ways that we're going to influence those around us. It's, it's the everyday life. And, uh, you know, what, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to keep us or convince us that we don't have any influence, that the things that we do, they really don't matter. But it's important for us to see that, that they do matter. I think oftentimes within the church we can, we can talk about all the, the spiritual stuff, which we ought to be doing. But you know what? Most people, uh, if they don't know Jesus as their Savior, they don't understand that. What they can understand is when we have a positive word for somebody or when we, we do something to help somebody. And so it's, it's through our service uh, that we can have truly an influence in the lives of, of people around us. You know, we, we, we see that the, the Bible, you know, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of things around us that influence us, but the Bible ought to have a tremendous influence in our lives. But what we see happening oftentimes is we allow everything else to have an influence, to use that terminology, not only in our lives, but in the lives of, of people around us. And what we see taking place in the world today is, is the less influence the Bible has upon our lives, the more we see of the terrorist activities, the horrible things that we, we, we see every time that we, we turn the news on. I don't know about you, I can hardly stand even watch the news anymore because it's, it's, it's also negative. But you know what we can do? Rather than allowing the negativity to dominate and control our lives, we can take that time that we, we would spend watching that and open our Bibles or take out a tape or, or do something to, to, to feed our spirit with something positive and allow that to have an influence in our life. You know, you, you see it all the time with people. People are, people are hopeless. And of course, if you, didn't, if you don't have Jesus, why wouldn't you be hopeless? You know, so that's, that's understandable. But, but the terrible thing is when we, when we have people that are born again, people that have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And by and large, they're in the same situation. They feel hopeless in their life. And there's a reason for that. It's because of what's influencing them. And so we need to make sure that it's the Bible that's influencing our lives because if it isn't, we're not gonna have um, 
that, that influence in the lives of people around us that we ought to have. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark the, the 10th chapter. And you know, one of the things that we see about Jesus, when he, when he walked on the earth, he had tre tremendous influence in the lives of people. And you know what? He didn't really make any great effort to influence people. He just did. Because of the words that came out of his mouth, because of the life that he lived, because of what people were able to see in him and hear from him, it had just tremendous influence in his life. But you know, think about this. Jesus, he didn't teach any seminars on influence. He didn't even go to any seminars on influence or how to live right or anything else. He just did it. The reason he was able to do it was because he heard from his father. The Bible says he didn't do anything or he didn't say anything, but first he heard his father from his father. And you know what? We're in the same position where we can be in the same place where Jesus was. So well, I don't know if I hear from God. Well, then you haven't picked your Bible up lately. Because every time we pick our Bibles up, we're hearing from God. And every time we get quiet before him, we hear from God. I don't know who put it on Facebook, and Donna's not out of here, so I don't have not in here, so I don't have to ask for to forgive me for looking at Facebook. <clears throat> but uh, somebody put something on about uh, um, Sean Johnson and about what she went through with the Olympics and so forth, and and while she was went through uh, what, what's that dance show that she was on. Dancing with the Stars, and she won it and so forth, but just stuff that she had uh, to deal with, you know, because when we look at people on the surface, you think everything's hunky-dory for them. But you know what? <clears throat> Everybody's in the same boat. All of us are dealing with stuff. Everybody say stuff. You know, so we're all dealing with it. But there, the, there was this point in her, the, this testimony that she was giving her, the story that she was sharing, that when she was trying out for the second Olympics, which would have been in 2012, when she was trying out for it. She was standing on the edge of, of the beam, about ready to do her, her backflips or her dismount and so forth. And she said it was like God told her that she didn't have to do this because her, her value, her worth, didn't depend upon what she did. It was at that point that she retired. And uh, she said, the most important thing in her life is Jesus Christ. And so there must be a new campaign or something on, because the end of it, she says, uh, I'm number two. And I'm satisfied and happy with that, because Jesus is number one. But think about this. You know, we're talking about influence, the influence that, that she's had on the lives of people. Why? She can have greater influence now than she ever had while she was an Olympian. That helps, but because of what Jesus has done in her life. 
And so Jesus needs to be number one in our lives as well. Amen. And so Jesus is this perfect example that's been given to us as one who influenced the lives of people, not just because of the words that he said, but because of what he did, because of his, of his actions, because he was a, a man of service. He, he gave up his life for humanity. You know, and there, there, there really isn't much more you can give up than give up your life for somebody. And Jesus was willing to do that. But in, in Mark, the 10th chapter, the 45th verse, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You know what? <clears throat> Maybe not necessarily that we physically have to give up our life. But you know what? We're, we're to be willing to give our, our lives for, for others. And that's what Jesus did. He gave his life for you and I. And it's an interesting thing. You know, under the law, there was this, there was this double standard or it appeared to be anyway. And anyway, man's interpretation always takes it to where there's a, there's a double standard that's involved. You know, it's, what's interesting, I'm, I'm always amazed when, when, when women run to some of these other religions because the only religion where men and women are equal is in Christianity. You know, because even, you know, where the scripture talks about marriage, where the uh, the husband is to love the wife and the wife is to submit unto the, to the husband and so forth. It, it's not saying that they're not equal. It's just simply talking about the position or the role that they're carrying. But they're equal. You know, and so in, in Christendom, the woman, the woman has the same opportunity to preach. The, the woman has the same opportunity to lay hands on the sick and see him recover. The women have the same opportunity to cast out devils. The women have the same opportunity to, to be successful and thrive in, in whatever endeavor God leads them in. So one of the things that we find in Christianity that, is that there's this <clears throat> equality. But when you, when you begin to base things on, <clears throat> on man's effort, men, man, by men I don't mean masculine, Gender. I mean, man in general, they always take it and it, it always begins to be used um, for their benefit. To, to manipulate and to, to control and so forth. But anyway, under the, under the law, if an if a, a individual was committing adultery, those individuals were to, 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 to be taken out and they were to be to be stoned. You know, and we, we see this under <clears throat> some of the other religions where if somebody's caught in this, they actually still practice that where they, 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 they stone them. But it's, but it's always an interesting thing to me. When they, they take these individuals out to stone them, it's always the woman. I don't know, the last time I checked, it took two to commit adultery. 
to commit fornication, any of those things. It took two. And the interesting thing is, it was always the woman that was taken out and stoned, and the guy never ended up there. Isn't that interesting? But it's, it's how we take the law and we, we use it to our advantage. But in, in Leviticus, and, and see, that's what the law says in Leviticus 2.10. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with the neighbor's wife, uh, the adulterer and the adulteress sh uh, shall surely be stoned. And so they're to take him and they're to stone him. But it's an interesting thing. Jesus was tested with this. And <clears throat> they, they, they brought this woman to Jesus who had been caught in adultery. And, and they said, you know, Lord, this is what the law says. What, what should we do? And so, let's turn over to it. In the Gospel of John, the eighth chapter. Talking about influence, okay? What are, what are you influenced by? Because what you're influenced by is what'll influence you to influence others. How's that for a, don't ask me to repeat that. But in, in John, the eighth chapter, the first verse. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. In other words, it wasn't a rumor. She was caught in the act. Once again, I just want to repeat. I think that requires two. Not just one. I think it, you know, last time I checked, I think it, it required two. Caught in, the, in adultery. And when they set her in the midst, they said to him, uh, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? And this they said, testing him, that they might have something to which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. And so, so they continued asking him. And he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Now think about this. Jesus could have done it. Because Jesus was without, was without sin. But he said, those amongst you, the one that is without sin, you go ahead. And you cast the first stone. And so, uh, and he stooped down. And those who heard it, being convicted, uh, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one. And I think this is interesting. Beginning with the oldest to the youngest. You know, one thing I've discovered over the years. The older I get, I don't appreciate what Jesus did for me less. 
I appreciate what he did for me more. And there's something that happens when you, when you do that because you, you see, without Jesus, I'd be lost. My life would be hopeless. There'd be no means of escape. I would be condemned. But because of Jesus, I have hope in my life. Because through his shed blood, my sins have been forgiven. And you know, the thing about it is that the longer we walk with Jesus, that ought to become more real to us. How much Jesus has truly done for us and, and so how much we appreciate him. And so what, what happens then when that happens, <clears throat> the influence that we have upon the lives of others in our life ought to increase, it ought not to decrease. And how we, we look at individuals through a forgiving eye rather than a condemning eye, it ought to increase and not decrease because we realize that where I am in my life without Jesus, it's an absolute impossibility that I could ever be here. And so he said, you know, you without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. And, and they got convicted in their own conscience because they knew See, it's an interesting thing about the sinner. <clears throat> you don't have to tell the sinner that he's a sinner. He knows. Nobody had to tell me that I was a sinner. Nobody had to tell me that I was lost. What they had to tell me was there was a way out. There was a means of escape. There was somebody. Even though I sat in church my entire life, nobody ever told me that the price that Jesus paid I mean, we talked about him being on the cross and shedding his blood and all that, but it has, had absolutely no meaning to it because it was never brought to a level where it was personal for me. Amen. You see, it's got to be personal for you that Jesus shed his blood for you so that your sins could be forgiven. And because your sins are forgiven because of Jesus, now we're capable of forgiving and not judging others. The world doesn't need our condemnation. They've already been condemned. They need is our forgiveness so that the forgiveness of Jesus can be demonstrated to them so that they can see that there is a way, there is a hope, there's something available to them. But that only comes through Jesus. And so they began to leave oldest to the, to the youngest. And then in verse 10, uh, last part of verse 9, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now what's interesting about this is that Jesus didn't justify her behavior. He didn't say it didn't matter. He just said, I don't condemn you. 
And he says, now that I don't condemn you, go and don't sin anymore. Now, of course, I can guarantee you something she did because we have. And she didn't have that same power of the Holy Spirit working in her life yet at that point that we do. But yet Jesus forgave her and she went from that place. Let me tell you something. Later on, we're going to see that there were these women that followed Jesus around. And I'll tell you why they followed him around. Because of the influence that he had in their life. Because they came from all kinds of backgrounds. But all at once, they felt loved and accepted. We got all kinds of critters in here this morning. We come from all kinds of different backgrounds. But you know what? They don't matter. Why? Because Jesus rose and picked us up out of the dust. And he says, where's your accusers? And you see, because of the blood of Jesus, nobody can accuse you. They can try, and you can accept it and feel condemned, but ultimately, nobody has a right to accuse you because of the completed works of Jesus in your life. Now what you and I have to do is we have to accept what Jesus has done for us. And if we truly do that, we go our way and we sin no more. In other words, those things that once dominated and controlled our lives are broken and they don't dominate and control our lives any longer unless we give them power in our life. And the way we give them power in our life is by speaking it. Well, you know, my grandparents were angry people. My parents were angry people. I'm an angry person. I don't want to be angry, but I can't help it. I'm just an angry person, so get out of my way because my anger will boil over and I'll let you have it. Well, don't do that. You don't have that much to give. And you don't have to be angry anymore. You don't have to be bound anymore. You don't have to be controlled anymore. I look back on my family and there's a history of alcoholism. We were heading in that same direction and then we found Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And I remember the day that I was reading through the Old Testament, I came upon the passage and it, it said in Deuteronomy that the sins of the fathers are passed on to the third, well it says the curse, but the sin of the fathers are passed on to the third and the fourth generation. And I sat there and I thought, you know what? If the sin of the father is passed on to the third and fourth generation, and I could look in my, back in my, my, my heritage and I could see it in the first and the third and the fourth generation back where they were controlled and manipulated by these vices. And I thought if the sins of the fathers can be passed on to the third and fourth generation, why can't the blessing of the father be passed on to the third and fourth generation. And I said, Father, I thank you that I am redeemed from the curse, from the curse of addiction, from the curse of alcohol. But the blessing of being free is passed on to my children 
and my children's children. And if Jesus should tarry, to my children's children's children. And you know what? I believe it. Because we can have influence in the generations that come after us. I've said to people, I said, okay, if you can't decide to follow Jesus for yourself, do it for your children. Listen to me, parents. Maybe you're struggling in your walk with God and sometimes you're wondering, is it really worth it? Let me tell you something, it's worth it. And in those times when you think, I want to go the other way, I'm not sure I want to continue on this walk. Stop thinking of yourself and start thinking of your children and realize the influence that you can have in their life. You know, we were counting up this morning. I think we've got like five or six new babies in this church. Isn't that cool? You know, that, that's wonderful. But see, what I want those, those parents to realize is with that comes tremendous responsibility. I know, I gotta, I gotta feed them, I've gotta clothe them, I gotta provide shelter for them, and I gotta provide schooling for them, and I gotta start saving so that I can get them to college. No, no, that's, that's the easy part. I'll tell you what the important part is. That you influence them. That they make the decision that all the days of their life they will serve Jesus Christ with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength. You know what I think is, you know, and, and some of these people say, well, I just wish I had a testimony. And these, these people have the most exciting testimony that they could ever give. And that testimony is, you know, I know at some point I had to have received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but growing up in a Christian home, I don't ever not know knowing him. And as far back as I can remember, I had this love for Jesus and I wanted to serve him all the days of my life. Oh, boo-hoo for you. That's the most marvelous testimony that anybody could ever, for a parent, that is the most marvelous testimony that they could ever hear coming out of their child's mouth is that I have always walked in fellowship with Jesus. Now, God has no grandchildren, so everybody must be born again. Amen. Amen. But what it ought to be is that at one point in one's life, the light goes on and they say, Jesus, I thank you that you're my Savior, and I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. And they don't ever have to experience the junk that you and I have had to go through. That's what we ought to desire for our children, and that's the influence that we can have on our children. That's the influence that Jesus had upon this woman, that she could get up out of the dirt, 
not basing her value on what some religious people said, but because of a face-to-face confrontation with Jesus, she could live the rest of her life in hope. You know, we have the, the twin disciples of Jesus where their mother went to Jesus and said, I want one of my, my, my kids to sit on your right hand and the other on the left hand. And Jesus says, well, that, that's not mine to give. But see, that was kind of a, a negative because she was thinking their value was going to be based on their position. There's only one position that determines your value. And that's that position that you hold as a child of God. That's where you find your value. You will find it in no other place. We find it in Him and in Him alone. You know, the other thing that we see about Jesus, because He heard from the Father, He didn't do anything unless He heard it from the Father. Everything that He did, He did it deliberately. Do you live a life where you walk deliberately or is it a life of quesarasara, what will be, will be? Let me tell you, if you're going to, if we're going to serve God, if we're going to influence our families, if we're going to influence our community, we're going to have to do it deliberately. We're going to have to make the decision that this is how I'm going to live and lead my life because everything around us, everything, tries to pull us in the other direction. Everything tries to tell us what we do doesn't really matter. Yes, it does. Because what we do, it doesn't just have temporal benefit. It's eternal. And so we need to realize the importance that we carry. In Luke, back up to Luke, the eighth chapter. In Luke, the eighth chapter, and I want to read from the, from the first verse. And it says, And it came to pass afterwards that we went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And a certain woman who had been healed of an evil spirit, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons, and Joanna, the woman, uh, uh, the wife of some dude, and Hannah's, uh, and Herod's uh, steward, and and another woman, and many others who provided for him for their, from their substance. Why did they do that? Because if you go back and you look at every one of those women, Jesus influenced their lives. He delivered them from bondage in their life. He, he brought healing into their life. They encountered Jesus 
in a personal way. Do you know what? <clears throat> it's not enough to experience a miracle in your life and think that it's going to change your life. That that miracle is going to sustain you so that you'll be able to follow Jesus now the rest of your life. Because I can show you example after example after example of individuals, not out there someplace, but individuals in this church that have experienced the miracle working power of God in their life, whether it be through, through healing, whether it be through deliverance of some sort, whether it be providing that for them in a, in a time when, there, when it looked like there was absolutely no way for that provision to be met. And they're not here this morning. And I can tell you why they're not here this morning. It's because that miracle, thank God for miracles. I love miracles. I want miracles. I'm not opposed to miracles. You get that idea? I like them. I mean, I remember one time, this is, this is one of the weirdest things. We are up in Wapaka, Wisconsin, and we were having communion, and everybody was filing forward, and we are in this old Seventh-day Adventist church, and had hardwood floors, and, and, and we, were, we were going along, and I was just standing there, and we were serving communion up front, and this, this guy is a doctor. He comes up, and he, he stops in front of me and says, Pastor, just pray for me. I just need you to pray for me. Don't ask me why, just pray for me. I said, well, I don't know what he needs, just give it to him. And he fell out under the power. You know, and there were people standing behind him, so I thought somebody would break his fall. Everybody took a step aside. <laughs> Boom, he hit the floor. He had his head on the floor. His, his glasses flew two, uh, two rows away. My great faith, I was thinking, I'm going to be sued. You know, and so and didn't get a chance to talk to him after church. He got up and he left and came back next Sunday. Thank God. <laughs> you know, and he comes up to me after church and he says, Pastor, do you know what you were praying for me for? And I said, I have absolutely no idea. He said, I had this splitting headache. I absolutely could not stand it. It was beyond what I could, could stand. And when my head hit the floor, it knocked it right out of my head. I got up. I was completely free. I had absolutely no, no headache. I don't know, maybe that, I, I think that qualifies as a miracle. You know, I love miracles. Not believing for people to whack their heads on the floor. But, but I love miracles. But you know what? A miracle will not sustain you. Oh, if God just came down and he did such and such in my life, I would serve him the rest of my life. No, it'd last about a week and a half. And then something would come up and you would get too busy and you know why that would be? Because you didn't make the commitment to put Jesus first in your life. And you know when somebody is first in your life, yes, like that. When somebody's first in your life, you give them attention. Amen? You give them attention. Guys, if you don't believe me, just ignore your wife. Or the other way around as well. But yet we think, well, you know, if I show up at church once in a while, God will be happy. Well, he'll be happy, but you won't. Because it's not, it's not enough to sustain you. 
We're to have a face-to-face relationship with Jesus. And so these women, they not only were healed, they were not only delivered, they had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. In other words, it was personal. It's personal. We may be here as a body of believers today, but each one of us has a personal relationship with Jesus. And that means there needs to be those times where we're with Him and we fellowship with Him and we hear from Him and we talk with Him. Back up one chapter to Luke, the seventh chapter, and the 36th verse. And then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. She's a sinner. Mercy sakes alive, a sinner. Came into the house. Well, you know what? Each and every one of us, this could be our story. Some of us wish we had long enough hair that we could dry Jesus' feet with us, with it. Some of us wish we just had enough hair to hide the scalp. You know, but here's this woman, she, she encountered Jesus. And it says, she sat down to, and they sat down and, he, and behold a woman in the city who was a sinner. And she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought a alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood his, at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You know, that's the thing about Jesus. He knows exactly what we are. And we, when, we, when we come to him, he knows exactly what we are. When we came to him, he knew exactly what we were. And it was because of that that he didn't turn us away. That he allowed us to come to him, to, to touch him, to be near him, to, to look in his face so that we could be free. Because ultimately, that's what Jesus wanted for this woman, was for her to be free. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, teacher, say it. He says, there was a certain creditor who had had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to, to pay repay him, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love the more? You know what? 
It isn't dependent upon how great we see our debt as being. It's how great we come to realize the debt really is. You know, on a Monday night, we go up to the prison and we minister to them. I'm in a room full of addicts and thieves and abusers of all sorts of things. But you know, as we look upon those men, I don't see them as having a $500,000 debt and I only had a $500 debt. We we're all on the same ledger. Because without Jesus, we're all in, the, all in the same place. We're lost. But see, the good news about it is, whatever a man or woman's sin is, Jesus is bigger. And so when we watch the news or we look at TV and we, we see the horrendous things that take place in the world around us, we don't have to lose hope because the same Jesus that set me free is the same Jesus that'll set them free. But their debt is so high, mine was just as high. My life was just as hopeless without Jesus. So how are we going to reach them? We're not going to reach them by hating them. We're going to reach them with the love of God by demonstrating what Jesus has truly done in each of our lives. And also, they also, 36 verse, they also, who had seen it, told them by what means he had uh, I have no idea where I'm at right now. Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter, that's why. I don't really have any idea where I am there either, so I'm going to start in the 43rd verse. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave more. And he said to them, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. The thing that we need to understand, to him who owes little, it's in his own thinking. Because without Jesus, we're hopeless. There's no way of escape. 
There's no answer. And so Jesus forgave this woman. And a woman who encountered Jesus face to face and she was forgiven. We have another example. I'll let you read that one for yourself. It's in John, the fourth chapter, and it's, it's the woman at the well. But again, I want us to see something. Everything that Jesus did, he did it purposely. He did it on purpose. Everything that we do, our actions, there ought to be a purpose behind it. We live a godly life. Why? Because we have to? No, because we have a purpose behind it. We want to influence people. The speech, the things that come out of our mouth, there ought to be words that edify, that built up, that encourage. Why? Because we have to? No, because we want to have that kind of an influence in the lives of people. You know, one of the things that I remember about Pastor Becky, when our kids were in school, when they'd walk out of that house, she had her confessions that she spoke over them. And it wasn't that you were a loser, you're never going to amount to anything. It was greater is he that is in you. Nothing's impossible to you. You have the mind of Christ. Wherever you go, Jesus goes with you. And you know, so they, they left the house having those thoughts. You know, I found out when I'm, when I'm ministering in the prison, they, they hear negativity all the time. They hear it from the inmates. They hear it from everybody. And it's an interesting thing when I get into one of my exhortation modes and I begin to, to, to speak out what Christ has done for them, that greater is he that is in you. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. All at once, their heads begin to lift. Their shoulders begin to rise. They begin to look into my face and they want to hear what I have to say. Why? Because <clears throat> that's not how they see themselves. But let me tell you something. That's how Jesus sees us. And until we begin to look in the mirror and we begin to speak about ourselves what Jesus says about us. Remember I shared a few weeks ago. What you think is what you believe. And what you believe is what will determine your actions. But you know what? <clears throat> it's got to begin with a thought. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You have to begin to think this way. You've got to begin to think like Jesus thinks about you. And you find that in the Word of God. The woman with the, at the well Jesus went there purposely. The disciples go off to get something to eat and Jesus stays there. And Jesus spoke to the woman. Jesus shared with her that there was a life available to her. You know, the, the word that Jesus, you know, she says, I perceive that you're a prophet and that was because he said you've had, what was it, seven husbands and the one, or five, seven, a bunch of them. And the one you're living with now, you're not even married to him. I perceive you're a prophet. Well, you know what? It's no wonder she was at the well all by herself. Because she went to the well when nobody else was there. 
to avoid the sneers and the judgment that was going to come her way because she's a sinner. But you know, Jesus spoke to her. And Jesus didn't condemn her. And Jesus gave her hope. And Jesus influenced her life. And as a result of that influence, she went back to the town and told him about this Jesus. Could this be the Messiah? And so because of the influence that Jesus had on her, she influenced the people. They went out to see her. And eventually they say, well, we're believing, but not because of what you say, said, but because of what we see. We may not be able to take people all the way into a personal relationship with Jesus. But we can have such an impact upon their life that they want to go and check him out. Because let me tell you something, if somebody will check out Jesus, they'll find that he's the way, that he's the truth, that he's full of life. And because of him, I don't have to be like the rest of the world. I can live a life full of hope. I don't have to be like the rest of the world. I don't have to be dominated by fear. I can live a life full of hope. Hi, Justin, I just noticed that you're sitting there. Just blended in with everybody. I've looked over there for so many years and seen those three boys sitting there. I just didn't even, praise the Lord. Mike and Chris have had tremendous influence in those boys' life. Third generation. Because Don and Kathy had tremendous influence in Mike's life. Fourth generation. Because I've heard about his grandfather. He had tremendous influence in Don's life. That's kind of unique. But not for this church. For the years and the generations to come. Because we're going to influence our families. We're going to influence our communities. We're going to influence this nation. We're going to influence this world. When we go to Honduras in a few weeks, we're not going down there just to make Sarah and Edward happy. I believe it's going to, but that's not the motivation. We're going to influence people from Honduras to let them know that people will come all the way from the United States to demonstrate to you how much Jesus loves you. And there's lives that are going to be changed that will never be the same. For each and every one of us, there are lives that we can influence that will never be the same because they will have the hope of Jesus. Why did I talk about these women today? Because I wanted you to see that Jesus, they were following Jesus for a reason, because of the influence that he had in their lives. Why do we come to church on a Sunday morning? Why do we read our Bibles? Why do we pray for people? Why do we, why do we, why do we live the life that we live? 
is because of the influence that Jesus has had in our lives. And if, if we're not where we ought to be, it's because we haven't allowed Jesus to influence us to the extent that he wants to. Jesus was determined to influence the lives of people in a positive, eternal way. Let's be determined to influence the lives of those around us in a positive, in an eternal way so that same hope of glory that you and I get to live in that they might live in it too. That's why we're here. If we're not going to do that, we might as well just go. But I believe that we're still on this earth for one specific reason. To influence the lives of people for Jesus. We're prepared to do it. Sometimes we feel like we're not, but we are. Because of his goodness, because of his love. Always remember what Jesus has done for you. Look into his face. Look into his word. Allow it to sink deep into your spirit. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in the completed works of Jesus. Everything that he's done for us. But for the grace of God, where would we be? But because of the grace of God. Here we are today. Father, allow us to be those ambassadors of influence that touch the lives of our families, of our friends, of the people of this community. Father, even, even people that we don't know that they would see something in our life that would draw them so that we could share the goodness of Jesus. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us in this room, we would be determined to be those individuals of influence, that we would be prepared and open and always willing to share what you've done in each of our lives. Father, I just thank you that in all things we can trust you and that you promise that you'll never leave us or forsake us. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and for your love. Lord, I ask your blessing upon these precious saints. And Father, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I ask you to minister.
the fullness of your grace to each person in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been asked to, well, number one, I want to remind everybody that's going on the mission trip. We have a meeting uh, immediately following the service, and lunch is being served out at the uh, Redemption Center. And so uh, uh, make sure you join us there for that. And then um, next Saturday at 3 p.m. out at the Redemption Center, um, the Camp Drama is going to be doing their dress rehearsal. And so uh, if you aren't going to be able to, or even if you are, but if you want to see the whole um, five, four nights, four nights of the, the drama that's going to take place at camp, um, not this week, but the following week, um, come out to the Redemption at 3 o'clock, and, and they're going to put the whole, whole thing on. And so it'll be a blessing. Just encourage you to come out and be a part of that. Anything else?